It could be that one of the biggest roster shakeups is going to happen at a position that no one talked about as a competition going into New Orleans Saints training camp. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much to all the everydayers out there making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget, you can always subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast so you never miss a daily episode. And if you want to keep the conversation going one-on-one with me, as well as take part in all of our early access, insider information, film studies, Q&As, and much more, you can head over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on saints to join a community that I would love for you to be a part of. As always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson, NOLA on your favorite social media, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media. You can find me as the senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. Every Tuesday on the Locked On NFL podcast, and you're with you every single Monday through Friday on Locked On Saints. Today's episode of Locked On Saints brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find the app in the App Store and sign up with the promo code Locked On to get your first deposit bonus doubled up to $100. Say you more about them later on today's episode of Locked On Saints. Concerns in linebacker depth, answering some of your big questions leading into the second half of training camp. We're also going to take a look at players not getting enough shine. I got one on the offense and another on the defense for you. We're going to get to them. But first, should offensive lineman James Hurst start over left guard Andrus Pete this year in 2023? Now, I want to acknowledge that this is a conversation that I've been bringing up a ton here on the show, and it has not been without warrant. I mean, I'm there every day. We're watching these players play, and we're watching, you know, who's available, who's getting the opportunities, who's taking the reps, all of those things. Uh, and it's very, very clear that Andrus Pete, even before he was dealing with his injury versus James Hurst, Maybe it wasn't an official kind of camp battle that everybody talked about and set up the way that we talked about and set up the camp battle at uh, defensive end or at cornerback two or at the next wide receiver spot or at the next linebacker spot and everything. We kind of talked about it going into camp. We treated it as one of our top offensive line or one of our top camp battles or top seven, but it was probably seven on the list, right? It wasn't one of the top ones. But it's turned out to be one of the ones that's maybe the most lopsided so far here throughout camp. And some of that is because of Andrews Pete's injuries, yes. And other parts of it is just about performance. James Hirsch just seems to perform a lot better than what we have seen from Andrews Pete. And the Saints are obviously very, very, I was going to say clean or very clear, but we're are, are very confident in the idea of James Hirsch taking on a starting role because he's had it. He's had a starting role in New Orleans already. He started a left tackle for them at the beginning of the season, arguably one of the most important positions of the five along the offensive lineman. And probably the only one that's maybe more important than that is going to be center 
maybe not even as important. Maybe that one's the second most important while left tackle or the blindside tackle, which here in New Orleans is the left tackle, is going to be the most important position on the offensive line. So yeah, you're probably willing to trust that guy if he can play guard too, right? Like there's nothing that you're going to look at at James Hurst and go, mm, you know, he didn't really show enough. No, that guy has done everything. And, and every step of the way throughout camp, anytime that we've seen Trevor Penning at left tackle, we've seen James Hurst at left guard. And maybe that's because James Hurst is the you know second string left tackle, if you will, but that doesn't mean that he has to be on the field at the same time as Trevor Penning. In fact, oftentimes that would mean that he wouldn't be on the field with Trevor Penning, that he would slide in the left guard every now and then, but otherwise he would be the backup left tackle. And every now and then you would expect to see Trevor Penning taking snaps next to Andrews Pete, which he has done, but not nearly as often as Trevor Penning has taking, taken snaps next to James Hurst. And I do think that that is a poignant and salient thing to pay attention to. The other thing to note is, of course, availability. But Ross, how can Andrus Pete lose his job based on performance when he's injured? The injuries and the unavailability are part of the equation. It's part of the decision on why I say, yeah, I could see James Hurst being the starter at left guard week one going into the season for sure. And I'll use a stat that um, my good friend Chris Vogel, who mentioned over at Straight Up Saints over with Boot Crew Media, 17 games for, the, for Andrus Pete in the recent past, 33 for James Hurst. James Hurst, nearly twice the amount of games played as Andrus Pete over the, next, over the last recent few years. And that's such a huge deal. Shout out to Chris for that. Like, if the whole thing is, what's the, what's the cliche, right? The best, avail the best ability is availability. Uh, who, who's shown you that they've been available and who's shown you that they haven't been available. So I get it. And, and look, Andrews Pete as a backup would be outstanding for you, right? As a, as a reserve or as a backup guard for you, that would be outstanding for him because A, it would increase the longevity, right? It would keep him healthy for a little while because he wouldn't be on the field as much. And then if you have an injury and you need to bring a guy in like Andrews Pete, who can play left guard and left tackle, then all of a sudden everything makes sense and you don't have as much of a drop-off in terms of your system as you have going from James Hurst to an undrafted rookie or James Hurst to a second-year guy or whatever it might be, or, or even a rookie in Nick Saldaveri who's steadily climbing the depth chart. And speaking of depth charts, if you look at the unofficial depth chart, which doesn't tell us the whole story, but gives us at least a little bit of like, a, oh, there's something potentially happening here. It acknowledges when there are camp battles. Like you can see on the unofficial depth chart, it says starting at corner on the on the left side opposite uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Paul Sinadibo, or Alante Taylor. Now, I still think Paul Sinadibo is well ahead in that battle right now, but Alante Taylor had a nice practice today. So maybe that can start to turn around. But you knew that that was going to be a camp battle going into camp. So seeing the or there, not very surprising to anybody but Adam Schefter, apparently. And then you look at guard, left guard, a spot where no one really said within the organization, yes, there will be a competition at left guard the way that we knew there was going to be one for that next linebacker spot. The way that Dennis Allen immediately, you know, uh, challenged the uh, defensive ends and saying, you know, we're trying to figure you know, that, 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 that position opposite Cam Jordan at defensive end is wide open. Who's going to take that role? Like he said that an oppressor, he said on, on Wednesday, just yesterday that, you know, we're trying to figure out who the off ball linebacker is behind Demario Davis and Pete Werner. We don't know who that is yet. Like that's a challenge to the guys that are competing. 
There's been no such language around the left guard spot, but yet somehow on the unofficial depth chart, it says James Hurst or Andrus Pete. And maybe they're taking into consideration that Andrus Pete might not be healthy enough to play in that preseason game. But I will be gosh darned if that doesn't become a part of the equation for who starts at left guard is who's can stay healthy. Who's who's use use going to stay healthy, Andrus? Like that's going to be such a big piece of it all, too. So that's the way that's the reason why I look at it this way. I truly, truly think that there's a chance, a good chance that. James Hurst ends up starting at left guard. And if I'm wrong about that, fine. That's totally fine. I don't mind. I don't care. But I'm telling you what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a lot of James Hurst. And because of that injury, we ain't seeing a lot of Andrews Pete. But even before that, it was curious the way that every time we saw Trevor Pinning, we saw James Hurst right next to him. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at players not getting enough shine. One of which I've spoken about already, but now I'm ready to stand on top of the soapbox Wax philosophical, and I might even sing a song about him. I'm not singing a song about him, but we'll break that down as we continue on with today's episode of Locked On Saints, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. (laughs) Today's episode of Locked On Saints brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I love the best ball format. You draft a team just like you would in any other snake draft. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. You set it and forget it. And Underdog simply optimizes your lineup for you. If you have a starting quarterback, like let's say you got Russell Wilson, and then your second quarterback, let's say you got Derek Carr. And one day you make the decision to start Russell Wilson, but Derek Carr outshines Russell Wilson. Derek Carr's total, if it's more than Russell Wilson's, that's the total that you get. That's the one that counts towards your overall scoring. End of the season, whoever's got the most points, dub. Nice and simple, and they have their huge best ball tournament, which you would love, which I would love for you to get involved in. Uh, largest fantasy football contest of all time. It's back $15 million in prizes ready to give out, including an absurd $3 million to the winner. So visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in your app store. When you sign up, use the promo code locked on so you're going to be able to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Ready to talk to you about some players that ain't getting enough shine. So we're going to put a little shine on them, just like we got a little bit of shine up here on the chrome dome on my bald head. Uh, So we're going to dive into all that today with all you everydayers. Appreciate you as always. Make it Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. Hope you're enjoying the two-a-days. Not going to lie. I'm trying to come up with some ways to uh, do some more two-a-days in-season as well. I already got an idea with the crossover Thursdays and making sure you get two episodes there. Working on some other ideas. So if you got any thoughts, shoot them over my way. Let me know what you think. We can come up with some some nice things about how we do these Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then uh, get you some keep, keep the two a days going because I'm having a lot of fun with these. All right. So let's take a look at some players. I think they're not getting enough shot. I want to start off with a guy that I've I've spoken about already, but is such a um, just continues to make play after play after play, day after day after day. I, I, I spoke about the other day, the difference between stacking moments and stacking days. And there are players that are stacking moments to where they have like a nice moment here, a nice moment there, a nice moment here, a nice moment there. And it might be that you have a nice moment day one, day five, day seven, so on and so forth. You just show up on the prime numbers. But then there are other players that are stacking days. They make a play a day, right? And you're seeing guys like that, like Carl Granderson. Like uh, Peyton Turner has been that guy. Made another play on on um, on Wednesday. Uh, but the guy that I'm going to highlight here is safety Ugo Amadi. I used to care. 
used to care that he was five foot nine. Now, I don't care at all. I'm ready to stand up on a table like Spartacus, like all that. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm ready to stand up on a table and say, I'm five nine and help everybody else say, I'm five nine. Because Ugo Amati has played so remarkably well all throughout camp. And honestly, if I'm looking at the safety group and I'm going, okay, there's Tyra Matthew. Okay, there's Marcus May. Who's the next best safety behind them? I'm saying JT Gray. But then after that, I might go Ugo Amati. Jordan Howden's in there. He's really coming along here recently. Guys like Jonathan Abram, they're making plays. Lonnie Johnson's making plays. Lonnie Johnson's got an interception on the in, like on the goal line, on the goal line in team drills, in the red zone team drills. I believe it was Jameis Winston that threw that. Um, these guys have been outstanding. Like we knew when when we were coming into the season. And I don't want to go without talking about Smoke Monday because I'll get I'll, I will get smoked for not talking about Smoke Monday like zero days since last since last Smoke Mondayness. Um, and so every one of these safeties is just making plays, but Ugo Amadi is just different because he's making plays everywhere. He's making plays deep. He's making plays in a split safety situation. He's making plays in the box. He's making plays in the slot. He's making plays rushing the passer. He had a sack uh, not too many days ago. He had you know he's had he almost had an interception. He had another pass breakup today against Taysom Hill. Covering him out of the tight end spot, like playing that strong safety role. I mean, he has just been everywhere and it's been awesome to see. And, and I'm hoping that we get him media availability wise, because I want to ask him a little bit about like adjusting to the role, how he feels like he's fitting into this New Orleans Saints offense, because what it looks like is that he was made for the New Orleans Saints offense and he was made for Dennis Allen's system. But I want to hear it from him. Like, Google, how do you feel? Right. Uh, because it's but it's clear when you watch him play that he's comfortable. I can't wait to see him in game action. Can't wait to see him in game action. The other part about him, too, is that he's a, he's a core special teamer on any team he's ever been a part of, too. So that's the other piece, is that you know that that can get you a roster spot here in New Orleans is just being a good special teamer. And when you have a team that lost Caden Ellis, you have a team that lost Andrew Dowell, you have a team that's lost other special teams contributors, you have to find more special teams contributors. And a lot of ways that you do that is with rookies, undrafted free agents. Maybe that's a place where like Nick Anderson, the two-lane linebacker, opens the door for himself a little bit. He was like really under the tutelage of Andrew Dowell to become that special teams guy, all that stuff, in addition to the work that he's doing on defense. But Ugo Amani is far and away one of the top guys when it comes to being a special teamer. They've got him fielding punts. They've got him gunning. They've got him as an, uh, you know, as a, a, another rusher. They, they got him doing everything. Uh, it, it's been awesome. It's been really, really awesome. So I, I just want to shout out Ugo Amadi. I mean, he, he's done awesome. Let's look over on the offensive side, a player that doesn't get enough shine, Ellis Merriweather. I ain't talked about him. Ain't nobody talking about him. He's a running back out of UMass. Uh, you know, six foot plus, 200 plus pounds. He's a big back. Uh, kind of reminds me of Latavius Murray a little bit. And the one thing that was kind of the, you know, um, hesitation around him is what was he going to be able to do as a receiver? What was he going to be able to do in the passing game? And he hasn't been useless in the passing game at all. Like he's, he's, he snagged a one-handed catch at the corner of the end, not the corner of the end zone, the front corner of the end zone, like at the pylon, everything snagged a one-handed catch in practice. Uh, last week, he's had some other catches downfield. He's been a reliable receiver in the middle of the field. He's had some drop passes here and there and stuff like that. So is Kendra Miller. So is Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara dropped the pass the other day. People be dropping passes. It happens. You know what I'm saying? But like Ellis Merriweather is one of these guys that like just always keeps his legs churning and he's always picking up the bigger yardage and things like that. And when he, and, and, and these running backs, sometimes there's the, 
it's hard to tell, was that a big run or was that just them continuing to run after the play? Because the Saints have this thing, and I think many NFL teams do, but the Saints certainly have this thing to where if you're a running back and you run into a pile and the whistle blows because you get stopped up, keep moving, keep turning your legs, keep going, keep running after that. And it's just about like, keep it's just training you to never stop, play, 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 play. And so it's hard sometimes to tell, okay, was that a breakaway run or was that just somebody that was like running after you know, after the play was made or whatever? So you kind of have to just listen for the whistle. And so there've been a lot of times where there's no whistle on the play extends and, and you look and you expect to see Alvin Kamara, you expect to see Kendra Miller, you expect to see Jamal Williams and it's Ellis Merriweather running down the field. And look, I don't know if Ellis Merriweather makes the roster. Um, he could. But if he doesn't, he becomes a priority practice squad guy for you for sure, I think, because he's just done enough. Like he's doing enough to, to, be, to at least warrant the attention. I don't know if he's doing enough to steal a 53-man roster spot. I don't know if he's doing enough to be another Tony Jones Jr. that like steals a spot or whatever. Uh, but he's doing enough to be recognized. He's doing enough to be talked about. And I think that that's just what I wanted to do here. I wanted to make sure that I brought him up because he's just kind of one of those guys where like, if for some reason he was the fourth running back that made the roster, I wouldn't be very surprised. Like, and, and when I say fourth running back to make the roster, I, I actually mean third running back to make the roster because obviously Alvin Kamara won't count as a roster spot for the first three weeks while he's suspended. And so if it's him or, or Kirk Merritt, either one of those guys, I wouldn't be surprised at this point because they each are very diverse in terms of how they would impact the game. Ellis, Mer Ellis Merriweather being a little bit more between the tackles or a little bit more of a bruiser who can catch some passes for you, while uh, Kirk Merritt being the converted wide receiver can certainly go catch passes for you, but can also contribute as a runner. So it's just kind of the reverse. One is a runner who can contribute as a pass catcher, and one is a pass catcher who can contribute as a runner, all that. And so I think that... Um, now, I think that that's like the only delineation, the, the, that's not the only, but that's like the delineation that you're looking at. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him steal a 53-man roster spot. At this point, I would be surprised if, he, if, if Ugo Amadi is not on the initial 53. Like that's where I am with Ugo Amadi. Sold. Sold, 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 sold. Now there's a lot of time between now and when that 53-man when that roster cut down goes, I know. But right now, if I had to make that decision today, I wouldn't, or if the Saints had to make that decision today, I, I would expect to see Ugo Amadi's name on there. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Ellis Merriweather. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at some of your questions from subtext, as well as uh, a few of our other uh, viewers on YouTube who had some more questions that I wanted to get to, including the concerns when it comes to linebacker depth. We got that coming up for you as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Who that nation wrapping up today's episode of locked on saints. I got three questions here from a combination of our subtext folks, as well as some of our YouTube chat, technically four questions, but only three that I'm going to answer. One of which I'm going to make a joke and I'm going to have fun. So be ready. Uh, so I'll go to Dre day rich first who uh, said your team every day was good. Uh, linebacker depth, very concerning. Are you worried about it? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I kind of mentioned earlier in this show, as well as in the live show last night that like Dennis Allen was pretty transparent, like pretty transparent about how he feels about the linebacker room, right? We're trying to figure out who the off-ball linebacker is behind DeMario Davis and Pete Werner. And to this point, we don't know who that is yet. It's it, paraphrasing, but effectively what he said. So that means that like DeMarco Jackson, the guy that's been getting a lot of that work at the uh, you know, communications headset, playing a little bit of that middle linebacker role, 
and just going back to the initial 53-man roster is the guy that's the immediate backup behind Demario Davis on that 53-man roster, which again, only tells us so much, like things that we can react to, but not necessarily things that we can like take to the bank. Uh, but DeMarco Jackson's that guy that's right there. And he's been there the entire offseason. So like we've been watching it. Like I'm in practice. I'm at the facility every day. I'm seeing it. When DeMario Davis is not on the field, usually DeMarco Jackson is the first non-Pete Werner player that is also on the field in those sort of nickel two linebacker sets. And then usually Zach Bond will either rotate in after that, or he'll be the strong side linebacker in the three linebacker sets. Um, and Zach Bond should keep that role as the strong side linebacker. I think that's where he'll he'll be maximized. He makes great plays in the run game. He's been able to rush the passer a little bit more, all those things. So I do think that there's value in that. But the Saints don't know who the next off-ball linebacker is. And, and I think that is concerning because if Demario Davis or Pete Werner goes down with an injury, what do you do? Who do you, who do you put in there? Like, where do, where do you go? So, and, and honestly, like, look, the Saints tried to bring in Anthony Barr and they wanted to do the visit with him. They had him come in. They did his visit. He completed his visit. He did his workout. He passed his physical and the Saints didn't sign him. And so we'll see what that means. Uh, the door's still open and he's got interest from other teams. He was supposed to have a visit with the Giants. That's been weird. Uh, but we'll see where all of it goes. But uh, Anthony Barr wasn't going to help you there. He's not a coverage linebacker. And there's not really a lot of coverage linebackers that are left out there on the market. So you got to find some other way to go and get one. So either you're transitioning somebody from another position to help you out there in a pinch, or you're just rolling with what you got and hoping that it works, or you got to make a move at some point. And I don't think that the Saints would trade for the most part. But I do think, I just don't know what they would trade. You know, like Bradley Roby was the guy that was talked about all the time as a potential trade. There's no other, I mean, like Ugo Amadi's played well in the slot, but Bradley Roby has played great in the slot. You know what I mean? And so I don't, and, and Alante Taylor's not a slot cornerback. Like it's not, it's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. And so I think at this point, like you look at Alante Taylor as your outside corner or a guy that's competing for your outside corner spot. But I don't think that that makes Paulson Adebo um, tradable if Alante Taylor wins that spot. And I don't think that when, it, it, you know, even with Paul Sadibo right now being ahead, I don't think you consider Alante Taylor tradable either. So like, there's not really a position that you look at and go, oh, okay, yeah, you could trade that away. Like I, I've had people ask me about, oh, well, what about trading Andrus Pete? Like with all those injuries on the offensive line, you're probably not going to do that. You know what I mean? Like you can't, like this team can't afford to give away players on the offensive line. They just can't because they can't keep their offensive line healthy. So that's not an option. And so you have to have that depth. And so I think that trading a player for a player becomes a little bit more challenging. But at roster cuts, if there's somebody that gets cut at the linebacker spot that the Saints like, then maybe that's the way that they could go by putting in that waiver claim. So yeah, I, I do think that it's concerning. It does concern me for the team, um, but I don't think that the team is out of ways to deal with it. Uh, let's get to questions from Shonuff. The first one is the one that I said I was going to make a joke about. He said, how will Chucky John Gruden affect the play of Derek Carr and get the Saints to a Super Bowl? Uh, my answer is that it won't. <laughs> and it's not that I don't think the Saints can get to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that John Gruden's been around for like six days. I don't think that he has an impact on Derek Carr. I think that the system, Pete Carmichael, Dennis Allen, those guys are the ones that need to have the impact on Derek Carr in order to get him to that point. Those are the ones that need to do it, not some dude that comes and visits for three days at a time. Now, if John Gruden ends up on the on the on the staff at some point, fine, but uh, not fine. But like that's that's a space where you go, okay, well, yeah, he better have that that um, that impact. But as of right now, the the three players that you need, the three coaches that you need to have that impact on Derek Carr are Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, 
and Ronald Curry. I said I was going to make a joke out of it, and then I actually thought about actual analysis. So go me. Uh, but Shonuff's actual question here is, uh, can the Saints bring back the pressure to whomever is playing in the Dome? I think this is such a good question. The Saints will play 14 games indoors this year. Uh, they will play eight of them at home uh, in the Superdome. And I think that with that, this could be the year that you're hoping that the dreaded that the dread of playing in the Superdome comes back. And that's not on the fans. That's on the Saints. Like the Saints have to win games and get it to the point to where the fans are excited for them to be playing at home and that we don't see early exits like we saw last year to where instead the, the, the fan base is hanging on and is sticking around through the fourth quarter, winning or losing, hoping that the team can come back and win or hoping that the team will hold on to its lead to win. And I think that's like the Saints kind of have to prove that to the fan base that, hey, look, good team, good team, good team, root for him, root for him, root for him. Then you're going to see that because there is no fan base hungrier for their team to be good here in 2023 than the New Orleans Saints fan base who have come to expect excellence and want to see excellence out on the field. Again, if they can show that there will be excellence out on the field again, I do think that we get back to the days of the Superdome being a place that is scary to come and play in. And then the Saints kind of get the opportunity to take advantage of kind of favorable conditions of playing in 14 dome games or in indoors games, at least as of right now. All right, let's get to one of our subtext folks real quick for coming from the crew. Uh, do you think that Alvin Kamara appeals the three-game suspension? This came from a couple folks, Spencer, uh, Ernest, as well as Dolph. Um, I think that this is a really good question. I don't expect Alvin Kamara will appeal and probably if he was going to, he would have already. And it would have like the usually like the news of a suspension will come out after the appeals already been made under most circumstances. Like this player is being suspended for this many games and then they appealed and then now it's this many games. Like those usually come out pretty close to one another. I think that what Alvin Kamara did was that he kind of took it into his own hands and did it in an unconventional way. He kind of appealed before the decision was made when he flew to Las Vegas and visited Las Vegas flew to New York and visited with Roger Goodell. I think that was kind of his appeal. Even though he did it before the suspension was ever even handed down, I think that was kind of his appeal. And clearly it worked because he walked away with only a three-game suspension, which again is a massive win for the New Orleans Saints. All right, y'all, coming up later on today, we'll be live after practice. It's practice for a game week, day two, but day 13 over the course of practice with the standouts. How did they stay healthy? Uh, what was the attendance? We'll get to all that as well. Of course, play of the day, players, all the big stories, everything you need to know from training camp coming up tomorrow. Probably going to be another evening episode a little bit later than we've usually been doing them because my, my day is just stacked again tomorrow after practice. But we'll see. I'll try to try to sneak it in there. Um, WLAE TV. I'll be over with Eric Asher for an hour over there. I've got a Superdome event tomorrow. I'll bring you some stuff from there about some new food options that are going to be available at the Dome this year. So we got a ton that's going to be coming your way uh, here on uh, well, not, I'm not going to be talking about the food on Locked on Saints, but on Twitter or on X or whatever you want to find it on, we'll, I'll have some information for you over there. All right. See y'all tomorrow. Appreciate you as always to all the everydayers out there making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. And I thank you very much, of course, as always, making me a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me on the show. As always, if you see me, say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on social media at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.